I'm going to show you something beautiful. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. chills. Uh, I assume it's just because James Spader's voice is that awesome. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening in. This is the Rattletch and Broadcasting Network summer blockbuster review series of the smash hit of the year. I'm calling it right now. Avengers 2 Age of Ultron came smashing across the world over the last couple of weeks and has done, I imagine we're well over the half billion dollar mark as far as finances go. Uh, it's kicking ass and taking names from a financial standpoint, and that means, you know, we're all here to review it. Now, normally for these, it's me and it's, uh, the Supreme Overlord here over at the Radlich and Broadcasting Network, Mark Radlich. However, Mark, unable to be with us here tonight, he's, uh, spending time with his daughter. I'm not going to get too much into that whole thing. Uh, that's his personal business, not mine to say. Uh, if you're aware of some of the more details, you know, if not, it, it's enough to say he's with his daughter. Won't be able to be here tonight. Uh, continue to wish Mark all the best, and hopefully he'll be back in the next couple of weeks. He's uh, hoping to be back tomorrow for the Long Road to Ruins look at Iron Man at the Iron Man trilogy. If not, I'll be co-hosting over there along with Sean Comer, so you might be seeing more of me in the near future. But I'm not alone here. Uh, we have some great people here on the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. A couple of them stepped up, volunteered to help out here, so it's not just me rambling for 60 minutes, because... Heaven knows, nobody wants to hear that. All right, let me go ahead and introduce these gentlemen first. 
uh, coming to us from uh, the state of New York, city of New York, for uh, the title card artist for The Long Road to Ruin, all-around great guy, supremely talented artist, Benjamin J. Cologne is going to be is with us here. Ben, how the heck are you? Good evening, Robert. Are you receiving me well here? Yeah, I got you. Your Skype thing looks to be holding steady. Nice. <laughs> uh, ben has a long, sad history with Skype and Skype's rocky relationship with Blog Talk, so we're, we have to double-check that every time. All right, also up here from the cheap seats, uh, for, I keep saying 411 Mania because that's where I write most of the time, but the Radlich and Broadcasting Network's Resident Evil Ginger, because every group has to have one. Jason Teasley is here from the cheap seats. How you doing, Jason? Good evening, fellas. I'm doing all right. How you guys doing? Not too bad. Not too bad. All right, uh, let's go ahead and jump right into this one. This has been a rather divisive film. I know there's a lot of people who have some complaints about it. Uh, just before we get into specific details, and I'll throw out a plot synopsis briefly, and here's just real briefly, I have to say this to everyone out there. The movie's been out for about a week. Uh, it's longer, depending on where you live in the world. There's going to be spoilers. You're all forewarned. Things will be discussed here that could be that could constitute spoiling it if you haven't already seen it. You've all been warned. Fair warning. All right, uh, Ben, let's go ahead and start with you. Just real quick, overall impressions of the film, by and large. Uh, like it, not like it. You know, how it fits within, you know, relative to the first Avengers movie. Uh, just, you know, things, about, things of that nature. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I, I can see a couple of... The, there are some legit things to, uh, to sort of criticize about it. Um... I think uh, something that may be coming up that uh, we may be talking about often is just the fact that there's this is a really ambitious movie. Uh, it's set square in the middle of this huge, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe that keeps growing, and they tried to do a lot with this movie. They tried to close the door on a bunch of different plot threads from the previous Marvel movies, while starting a whole bunch of new ones and in some ways it succeeded and in other ways not really so much overall though it was it was a lot of fun and i, I had a really good time yeah the, you said it best this is an ambitious movie and middle movies and trilogies and let's face it the, the avengers films are set up as a trilogy with the first one then age of ultron and i don't care that infinity wars is in two parts it's one story Middle sections of trilogies have a lot to do, and it, it done right, it's very good. Done wrong, eh, not so much. Uh, Jason, same question. Your overall just kind of impressions of the movie. Uh, enjoy it, not enjoy it, have fun, or wanted to throw stuff at the screen the whole time you were sitting in the theater. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, I mean, I I think, actually, this was a better movie than the first one because you had a lot more story depth and not just a... Oh, flashing lights, everybody's together. It's kind of divulged into more of a storytelling rather than just make everything go boom. Yeah, that's That seems to be one of the big things that people are either liking or it's kind of putting them off. And there's positives and negatives to both sides of it. Uh, I'll go ahead and give a real brief plot synopsis here. Uh, and again, we'll get into details that might constitute spoilers in a bit, but... We, uh, we open with the Avengers, and you know, they're together. They're attacking a Hydra base that houses Loki's scepter, which 
fell into their hands after the events of Captain America the Winter Soldier, and Hydra's been, ex- uh, Baron Von Strucker has been experimenting with it. It's the Avengers. They held off an entire alien army. They're going to take down a Hydra base whenever they darn well please. They crush through it. We're introduced through the course of this to the Maximoff twins, Pietro and Wanda, uh, better known in certain circles as Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch. Uh, Wanda messes with Tony Stark's mind a little bit, so he takes the scepter and decides they're going to try and finish, uh, finalize his Ultron Protocol, which is a artificial intelligence global peacekeeping initiative. Uh, during a celebration party for finally unraveling the last bits of Hydra that were still around, they succeed. Uh, Ultron is created and immediately becomes malicious. He takes out Jarvis, spreads himself around the world, uh, steals the scepter back, and sets out to wipe out humanity. The Avengers naturally oppose this. Uh, we meet Andy Serkis, who is yeah, just awesome by and large. Uh, Ultron, one of his schemes is he wants to create a partially vibranium body for himself uh, to become more of an android instead of a robot. He is just uh, a cobbled-together robot at first, and he generally he evolves his form as the movie goes on. Uh, there's over there's you know things to overcome. The Scarlet Witch gets to mess with everyone's mind to various degrees. Uh, some people it's not a big deal for. Captain America, I think, deals with it rather well, although it touches on a theme with him throughout this movie. The Hulk tears up part of Cape Town before being stopped by the Hulkbuster armor and, you know, Tony Stark. Eventually, the Maximoff twins realize that Ultron doesn't just want to kill the Avengers, he wants to wipe out all of humanity. So they, you know, by definition, them being human, they have to ally against him. Uh, Ultron creates a body, it's stolen, and they upload Jarvis into it, that becomes the Vision. And Paul Bettany deserves all the credit in the world for somehow managing to steal scenes from both James Spader's voice and Chris Hemsworth, both of whom are you know, patented scene stealers wherever they go. Uh, they eventually overthrow... They beat Ultron. Ultron is apparently destroyed. Thor goes back to Asgard to kind of set up the forthcoming Infinity Wars. The Hulk leaves the Avengers. Hawkeye retires. Uh, Captain America... Sorry, Iron Man Tony Stark bows out. We get a glimpse of the new team, which is headed still by Steve Rogers as Captain America, with Black Widow as the only holdover. It now also features Scarlet Witch, War Machine, the Falcon, and the Vision, uh, which is a solid enough lineup, all things considered. And we get, you know, it, it's designed to kind of set up further event, further conflicts within the universe while tidying up some of the previous ones, as, again, most middle chapters are supposed to do that. And this good and bad here, um, uh, my biggest gripe, I think, and well, one of them, and I'll throw this one to you two guys and let you you know, either agree with me or disagree with me and whatnot, but I wanted more of Ultron. And I think part of the problem here uh, relates to the movie trying to c- tell its own story. And that's not a bad thing for it to do that, but when you compare aspects of this with the first Avengers... You know, we already knew Loki. We knew what he was about. We knew what he was trying to accomplish. I mean, the Chitari were just, uh, you know, window window dressings. They were additions. They you know, the meat of that conflict was the Avengers and Loki. And we had already met him in the Thor movie. We had already met, you know, all the principal characters to varying degrees throughout the other movies, and we were familiar with them. Here, we have to introduce a brand new character from scratch with Ultron. 
And there's no arc with Ultron. There's no development. There, and I feel it's a, I feel it's a weakness in this movie that you know, Ultron is you know, again trying to wipe out humanity and comes very close, but it never, he never feels like a really big deal. And I just, I feel that you know with uh, trying to introduce a character from scratch while trying to balance you know, the need for all of the other characters, all of the other lines and story. It just, he, his development and his character kind of got left by the wayside. And I think that's one of the weaker elements of the movie as a whole. Uh, Jason, am I way off base here or, or uh, you know, what's your perspective? Oh, I completely agree. I think, honestly, they should have introduced, just give you kind of the premise for Ultron and Iron Man 3. That way, just kind of let, let it be, uh, let the story and the background develop a little bit more. Uh, Tony basically trying to create a, a basically a sentient being to take over for the Avengers so everybody can go live happily ever after. So with you saying that, yeah, I agree that they kind of, I feel they kind of rushed the whole Ultron and Vision uh, storyline both. I think it felt a little rushed. Though it, they, what they did do, it was amazing what they did with both characters, but I still think it was a little rushed. And they could have fleshed out Ultron a little bit better and just started the story in Iron Man 3 and just continued it and let it come to life at the beginning of the Avengers. Uh, ben, your thoughts on Ultron? Uh, again, I'm, uh, you know, was he adequately fleshed out as a character to your satisfaction? I tend to wonder, um, I, I understand where you're coming from with that. I, I guess my, my, the way I approach it is by way of making an attempt to rationalize why. Um, and you figure, and it was kind of unprecedented the way that the first Avengers movie set up the story that they told in that the only way, like if you had never seen any of the other previous movies, which why wouldn't you have? But for the sake of argument, if you hadn't, you wouldn't really know much of anything about Loki, um, and you'd be kind of lost. Um, and that was something that, yeah, this movie probably could have used some build up. You know, the the first movie took advantage of all the you know Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff and and all the the fact that it build it's built on previous movies to be able to you know do a lot of the character development for the main villain in Avengers before the movie even begins um what we got here was um in the midst of advancing every single other Avengers story that we already you know that we've already been set up for and introducing three new Avengers. We had to, we, you know, we also had to introduce the villain and give him, give him a motivation for being a villain, and show him coming close to succeeding and showing him his him enact whatever plans he had to thwart the heroes to to advance his own agenda and then ultimately to be defeated. Um they they had 2 hours and 20 minutes to do that. Um I I'm a little bit more forgiving of the lack of development that Ultron got just because he was one of a ton of different characters 
that were competing for character development in this movie. Yeah, I mean, I understand why it happened. I mean, and to be fair, a lot of other people would have turned Ultron into a very flat, you know, almost a caricature instead of a full-on character. And I need to give credit to, you know, again, Joss Whedon for succeeding as much as he did. Because it sounds like I'm complaining a lot about this. And I'm going to, again, I'm elements of this border on nitpicking. But I have, you know, there's things that I feel need to be discussed about that could have been improved on. And there's, again, there's plenty of good things here as well. I'd like to say too, um, real quick. Like, yeah. I'd, li- I'd like to say too. I I I've seen some people are not too fond of the the way Ultron ended up being portrayed in the movie as kind of almost childlike in some ways, or kind of you know you know all over the place attention wise, and alternately that way, and then giving grand speeches but i came i kind of came to the realization that like you kind of needed that you kind of needed that characterization because if not if you didn't have the sort of weird quirky you know like uh you know growing pains type of uh character that all that that we wrote for ultron you basically have robot loki you would have the exact same villain as you did in the first movie yeah, that's fair. I, that didn't bother me as much when, personally speaking, you have to remember that again. We actually witnessed the literal birth of this character, and a lot of what he does and says and how he acts reminds me of, you know, I, I'm bordering on like a petulant teenager at times. And as grating as that is, because petulant teenagers are the bane of humanity's existence by and large, it makes perfect sense for the character because he has nothing but raw information at you know, the totality of human information is at his disposal every second of every day. But he has no emotional maturity. He has no depth. He has no uh, experience to adequately process it all. So it makes sense for him to be that way. I mean, uh, Jason, kind of final words on Ultron as a character. Any Anything from him that you really liked? Yeah, because I, mean, I have things that I enjoy about it as well, and I want to kind of move on on a positive note for, because... There's a lot to like about him as a villain, and I'm curious, you know, what, what what did you like about him? Uh, the performance James Spader gave Ultron, the fact that even he was able to, and I, I'm going to give this to the special effects thing too, uh, Ultron actually was able to emit mo- emotions with, you know, a robot emitting, uh, showing emotion was like crazy in itself, and we kind of talked about this when uh, me and Jesse was on Screaming Boy, but the fact that the performance James Spader gave, the creepiness that he gave Ultron, and just his voice alone was amazing. So the performance that they gave Ultron was great. And I like the fact that he was a basically a, a infant learning because he had the ideal of humans are flawed let's get rid of them and it, and you've seen that progression of him just wanting to get rid of the avengers and mainly tony tony stark to wiping out all of humanity just because of all humanity is flawed yeah i i can't say enough good things about what james spader was able to do my issues with ultron are solely with the writing and the direction and I have one gripe with Ultron that didn't bother me as much the first time I saw this movie, but the second time it it kind of started to grate on me just a tad, and that's 
the fact that he has lips. And it, it I don't know, it I noticed it the first time I saw it and it just it feels a little odd. And then the second time it just kind of stood out a little bit more and I know uh, Gavin Napier of the Casual Heroes uh, hated that Ultron had lips. And I I can understand that. That could be something that just kind of gets on your nerves. But, I mean, James Spader's voice, and I, I freely admit, I am a huge James Spader fan and have been from the final season of uh, The Practice when he walked in and immediate, and just started stealing scenes from everyone in that particular show, and that, that's no easy feat. I, um, ben, you and I talked a little bit about this thing, about this offline. I want to touch on it briefly here. Uh, Scarlett Johansson, who plays uh, you know, Natasha Romanoff, the Black Widow, was actually pregnant for much of the filming of this movie, and you speculated that maybe she her character wound up being rewritten a little bit to accommodate her pregnancy. And uh, do you think that maybe her whole relationship with the Hulk, with uh, Bruce Banner kind of spawned out of that more so than uh, kind of a natural narrative? I can't, you know, of course I can't say for sure, but I mean, we're just speculating seemed, here. Yeah, sure. Um, it seems like it was probably expanded to to sort of compensate for for her maybe not being able to get as physical as she was in in the first movie. In the first movie, she was kicking ass all over the place, and you know um, they went a different way with this. Luckily, Scarlett Johansson is a good enough actress that she was able to roll with it perfectly well and 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 make it interesting. And that's another thing that's really. That's another thing that uh, I, I did appreciate about this movie is that, and, and Joss Whedon in general, that was that that subplot was in this movie, and it gave it gave uh, it gave the movie a couple of breathers. Because um, otherwise, if not, you would you would have been very close to two hours and twenty minutes of just super people punching robots, which sounds awesome, but you know, after a while, you're gonna need a reason to care. Yeah, we this movie. There's a couple of action sequences in this movie that actually feel a little flat to me. Uh, the entire chase through, uh, I assume it's Seoul in South Korea on the back of the semi truck. It doesn't feel. I mean, it 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 just feels flat, you know, just kind of tacked on. Like we need another action sequence at this point in the movie. I mean, we've seen, you know, moviegoers in general have seen sequences of chase through involving semi trucks that I think were much better than this. Uh there's just it almost feels like there's no scale to it. I mean there's a scene where uh you know the widow uh picks up the shield from Captain America uh that Ultron had thrown off the ship and she actually slides under the uh trailer of the semi and then throws the shield up to him and it's a very cool visual but uh, well it should be a cool visual I should say. It just there's no scene there's no scenery to it there's no scale it just it's the action sequences a lot of them in this movie in general I feel were inferior from a technical standpoint to the first one and granted some of them are extraordinary I mean, the final sequence with them defending the drill from Ultron is fabulously well shot it's beautifully rendered but there's a few that just kind of feel and I mean that one's one of them it. Uh, that one's kind of hard to read. That's kind of the biggest one. I mean, the opening the opening action sequence is very good. There's just a few of them like that that just kind of fall by the wayside technically, and it's a real shame. Uh, 
Jason, am I off base here? You, you know, when it comes to just analyzing the action sequences. No, I think you're right on the money. Uh, I, I also felt that they tacked the the whole tractor trailer scene on just to give Cap and uh, Black Widow just more screen time. It's at least that's the way it felt to me because you not only had that, and then you had the where the spawns of Ultron will take it up into the uh, atmosphere and um, Hawkeye catches it. I mean, it was, it just seems like it was just added in just to get more screen time for the stars. And if, like you said, it fell flat, at least to me. I mean, Benjamin, you may see it differently. but Well, uh, I guess... Maybe I'm a little bit more forgiving of that just because that that's kind of you know that's kind of what I come to expect from from these type of movies, especially uh, avengers and and Avengers as a brand um i'm I'm expecting the over the top action um some you know some 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 of the scenes are certainly better than others i don't I don't think any particular one of them was I don't I wouldn't call it flat but you know maybe you know the bar gets set first of all the bar gets set pretty high because you've got you know you've got the yeah, huge scene in the first 5 minutes where you know and that's just you know my kind of mind blowing so and and I wasn't expecting that either that you know the 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 movie immediately begins with you know complete craziness um I I would I, I would say just that uh, you got to say maybe they were saving it for you know for the end maybe you didn't want anything too too early in the movie to overshadow you know what was coming um, once again that's a, that's a whole lot of speculation and, and maybe I'm reaching a little bit but uh, that's you know that's one way that I could probably probably rationalize and I seem to be doing a lot of rationalizing tonight actually. No, it's fine. I don't. I like having different perspectives when I do stuff like this. You know, I, if everyone agrees the whole time, it's boring. Uh, and thankfully, you know, again, Mark and I go at it from time to time. In fact, we have a another plug. But when we reviewed uh, Transformers: Age of Extinction, we had a long discussion about edit, the editing process and how much I felt could have been cut out of that particularly bloated catastrophe. But yeah, go back and find that one if you're all, for all those of you who are interested. Uh, I want to touch briefly on, a, again, a couple of the characters uh, individually here. We finally get some stuff with Hawkeye in this movie. And that actually almost makes me want to segue into talking about the Hulk, because we got the Shoryuken in the background there. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Jeremy Renner as Hawkeye got a little bit of the short end of the stick when it came to the first Avengers. Still very awesome. I mean, and I'm a big fan of Jeremy Renner as well. Uh I thought he was great. I mean, especially in uh, the first thing I really remember seeing him in was the big screen adaptation of SWAT, and I thought he was great as the villain in that movie. But we finally get, you know, a little bit of some character exposition for Hawkeye, and, uh, you know, not a lot of backstory, but just more depth to the character. And uh, it's welcome. It's very, very helpful. It feels nice to get to know some of these guys a little bit. Especially when everyone else gets, you know, zapped by the Scarlet Witch, and we get to see you know, some of their darkest fears realized, and that entails some backstory for, especially the Widow, because her past is quite, you know, horrible. And 
we just get to see him. He's got a family that he's kept deeply off the books. He's just a you know, a good all-around guy. And Ben, I know that again, you and I talked a little bit about this, but I want to give you the opportunity here to talk a little bit about some of the scenes with Hawkeye and his family because I know you were very impressed in particular with uh, his wife and how she was written. Yeah, I've actually I've I've sort of come to the to the conclusion, my own conclusion that Joss Whedon actually took the opportunity to make Hawkeye the audience proxy. Um, he is the least, you know, he, he could be considered the least superpowered of all of these different larger-than-life characters. He's had the least exposure in all of the previous movies, and he's kind of experiencing all this stuff, and he's, a, he, he's portrayed as not quite in over his head, but realizing that he's just kind of along for the ride and doing doing what he can with what he has. Um and they humanize him even more, like, you know, midway through the movie, which, by the way, uh, I'm not the only one who caught this, but I've, I've caught a few people calling this, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle scene where, you know, where they go to the farm. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I'm I, glad I wasn't the only one that thought that, that my mind went to that first. But anyway, um, yeah, you... you they humanize him a little bit more because now, you know, all of a sudden he's got, you know, he's got a wife and he's got a kid and he's got another kid on the way and, and um, all of this stuff that that uh, nobody else knew about. And I was, I had mentioned before, like, you know, the way Hawkeye's wife was portrayed, it was, it was, it was, a, it was pretty refreshing um, as far as portrayal. And Joss Whedon's, you uh, is generally very good with with female characters and it would have been very easy to write his wife as this sort of bitchy disapproving you know uh you know just nagging you know stereotype and she wasn't you know first of all i i also mentioned i'm I'm happy to see Linda Cardellini just about anything, so that was nice. But she played the part really well, and she and and she was supportive and sort of lent some some weight to that and humanized them even more and basically said that like you know they they need you. You may not think they need you, but they need you. Uh, I I thought that was really important. That was a really important character beat in um, for Hawkeye, and that was a really important beat for the story itself. Uh, Jason, I want to get your thoughts on this one, because the other character who I feel... I mean, everybody gets moments in this, but uh, there's a couple in particular. I don't think Thor has much of a character arc for this, and I'm a big fan of both Chris Hemsworth and his version of Thor. Uh, again, he's, he, he genuinely steals every scene he's in, by and large. But he's not... Again, there's not a whole lot of development here. He's more setting up the events of what's going to be Thor, Ragnarok, and then uh, the Infinity War storyline. But there's an undercurrent with Captain America that's touched on here, Steve Rogers, that he is displaced. Now, that's true in all the others, but it really is kind of brought up here. His vision that is meant to kind of mess with his head is uh, Haley Atwell as Peggy Carter telling him it's time to go home. And the notion that he is without place continues to be brought up here. I mean, he's literally without a home, actually, after the events of Winter Soldier when his house was destroyed. He's, you know, he jokes with uh, 
the, uh, Andrew Mackey's character of uh, Falcon in one of the opening scenes that he can't even afford a house in his own neighborhood of Brooklyn. Something that I'm sure very made true. Pat Mullen. Something that I'm sure made you know all, everyone who's been, lived in Brooklyn feel very bad about the current status of that particular borough. And you know he's ju- uh, even when they first get to the farm, he's reminded a little bit more of what's not there, what you know maybe could have been had he not. Had things turned out a little bit differently, and it's very, it's very understated, and it's actually a little bit uh, underplayed because, again, there's not a whole lot of room in this particular in an Avengers movie for individual characters to really develop and breathe a whole lot. But it is touched on, and I wanted to get your thoughts on that. That you know, that's what we're we're still dealing with with Captain America, Steve Rogers. You know, he still feels displaced and homeless in a lot of ways, like he doesn't really belong. Uh, okay. Well, first I want to touch on, you know, Hawkeye real quick. I think yeah, go ahead. It, sh- it it showed that Hawkeye is actually the glue that holds the Avengers together. He's the one that keeps them grounded because going back to the speech he gives Scarlet Witch, which is epic. He's like, that none of awesome. this makes sense. I'm I'm shooting people with a, I'm shooting aliens and robots with arrows, and none of this makes sense. But I'm going to go out there. I mean, it's a great speech, and it shows. The fact that, you know, he is the glue that holds them together because you've got all these super-powered people. You've got a, god, a demigod. You've got, you know, uh, a hawk and everything. But, yeah, then you have Hawkeye, who is more concerned about putting the floor in his day room than battling robots. And, it's like I said, it's kind of the glue that holds everybody together. But going back to Steve Rogers, what you brought up, it shows you're starting to see the cracks. And I love it because... It's like when him and uh, when Robert Downey Jr. Tony Stark says, "I don't trust anyone that doesn't have a dark side," and he says, "Well, you haven't seen it yet." Which <clears throat> that tension, of course, sets, is going to set up the new Captain America movie. Everybody knows it's going to be Civil War, and it just shows that you know because Captain ha- really has no place in the world, he's going he's going to. St- slide down that slippery slope into anger because of the uncomfortable situation he's put in, how he doesn't really belong in basically our time period, and how things were so much simpler when he was actually in his own time period than they are now with, you know, everybody knowing every move, which also uh, is going to kind of transitioning into the Civil War. Uh, Ultron gets a great line about Steve Rogers uh, when they meet on the off the coast of South Africa and whatnot. He's, oh, Captain America, God's righteous man, as though you could you can keep telling yourself you can live without a war. Because he is defined very much by the conflicts he's a part of, and I actually have to give credit to Chris Evans as well for being able to express that on screen, because it's a difficult thing. To kind of you know portray that, and Chris Evans is actually a very talented actor. When I mean, if you haven't seen Snowpiercer for anyone out there, look it up. He's got a great kind of monologue towards the end of that that is really well done. Uh, just uh, again, he's a very talented actor in his own right. Um, let me see. I I need to say something positive about this movie. I need to you know because we're we mentioned a bunch of things, and I need to bring some positivity here as well. I need. To mention uh, before, because I've got a major gripe 
then I, I'm going to apologize in advance. It's going to turn into just a bit of a rant, So, but we'll get to that in a minute or two. But uh, the other major thing I need to praise here is Paul Bettany, who I, I mentioned just, you know, a little bit ago, but I can't express how great he is with just his eyes. I mean, the scene where the vision is born and he brings himself to a stop uh, right before crashing through the uh, the window of the Avengers Tower, and just the way he looks out at the world and then his own reflection in the glass, it's one of the most beautiful things in this entire movie. Just the subtleties and the small things that he does as the vision. And uh, I mean, I've been a Paul Bettany fan since I watched him in um, A Knight's Tale, for anyone else out there who's seen that. He plays Geoffrey Chaucer. I got out of my way to find stuff featuring him because I liked so much what he did in that movie. And here he's just, I mean, he's been the voice of Jarvis from the beginning, and he finally gets to actually, you know, be on screen for a bit. And from the moment he steps out, he is awesome as the Vision. He adequately portrays the the character. I mean, his the last confrontation between him and Ultron is just wonderful. It doesn't last very long. And it's more dialogue than anything, but it's interesting. And the kind of the clash and the uh, the dynamics between them. I wanted more of that, actually, more than anything. But I, I just such I was such a big fan of what he was able to do on screen. And he also gets the coolest moment in this entire movie. I think. I mean, by far, uh, when he's able to lift Mjolnir and hands it to Thor, and he doesn't know it means anything. He just picks it up and hands it to him and says, "We have to go." And everyone else is sitting there in shock because it's they've reminded everyone earlier that nobody but Thor, basically, you have to be worthy to lift the hammer. None of them can do it. Cap can wiggle it a little bit. but And here he is. He actually gets to whack Ultron with it a little bit later in the final battle sequence, too, which is also very awesome. But I, I just, I can't say enough good things about Paul Bettany's turn as Vision. Uh, ben and then Jason, I'll go ahead and limit your know, thoughts specifically on uh the, this version of the Vision, I know uh, I'll mention Gavin again, didn't like that he had eyes, because the original character in the comics does not have eyes. I, While I agreed with him about Ultron's lips, I think uh, going with the eyes in Vision, that might stray a bit towards the nitpicky side. I can understand people it might bother. It doesn't bother me. I very much, Again, I just said what he's able to do with his eyes alone justifies that change for me. But again, Ben, thoughts on the Vision? Uh, again, brand new character being introduced? Yeah, and and I I would take a guess that he might have had the least amount of screen time, but the, he made he absolutely Paul Bentley absolutely made the most of the time that he had, and he was probably one of the top things that everybody was talking about coming out of this movie. I think at least that's what it seemed like to me. Um, you know, I was I was on you know Thor's material on Monday with uh, Jesse Starcher, cheap plug, but um, I didn't want to. I didn't want to say at that point like what my favorite scene in the movie was just because the scene where Vision hands Thor the hammer, I, I swear, like, first of all, my theater went silent for like half a second and then everybody just erupted. That was such like a, <laughs> that was such a well-timed, well, you know, well-shot, well-built uh, moment that it just got everybody and that's, yeah, if I had to pick a single favorite scene in the movie, it's probably that. Uh, it was just uh, all around, and and um, the, the the scene at the end where basically, 
it's uh, it comes down to the last Ultron uh, robot and, and Vision, and it's even left a little bit ambiguous as to what happened. Um, probably not. Uh, it probably wasn't intended to be as ambiguous as it ended up seeming. But you know, there's you know, there's there's room for all kinds of stuff in there, and and just uh, just a tremendous uh, performance from a very short amount of time all around. It was really, really well done, and I'm definitely wanting to see more. Yeah, I think we assume there's some ambiguity there because we're you know, everyone here, at least, is to varying degrees comic book fans, and we all know that no one stays dead in comics. Definitely not in the Marvel Universe. Unless you're Uncle Ben. Unless you're Uncle Ben. <laughs> you, can't, you can't even entirely say Gwen Stacy anymore. <laughs> True. Uh, all right, uh, Jason. Thoughts on uh, the Vision? Brand, again, brand new character kept out of most of the promotional materials. Now, keeper of the Mind Stone. Well, this was actually my introduction to Vision. Um, you know, I'm I haven't really followed it. You know, Avengers and everything. So this was uh, an introduction to me, which was kind of cool because it's like I'm learning now. I'm wanting to go back and compare what my perception of from the movie is to the comic book. And it's kind of cool because I'm seeing the differential and it's like I'm learning so many quibs and stuff about the character. And, you know, I'm I'm thinking back, but it's funny because when I'm reading this stuff though, I'm per- the the mindset that I'm in is the movie adaptation of it, the visual I get. And it's kinda it's kinda cool because, you know, like Gavin nitpicking you know the eyes. The eyes actually, like you brought up, Robert, gave more depth of character. It the just the realization when he, like you said, when he's out just looking at the city and he sees his own reflection. That fleshed out form of what you know we've came to know as Jarvis, and it, it was really cool for me because you guys kind of stole the question I had about. Uh, picking up Thor's hammer. You guys already touched on it, so I'm kind of left in the cold now, so I don't really have much more to say. Sorry. Sorry about that. Hey, if you two two steal from me, I'm happy to not have anything to say. Uh, I... I got to get my major gripe out of the way here, and I'm going to apologize (laughs) real briefly, because this is going to turn into a bit of a rant. Um... My biggest gripe with this movie, and I've come to have it about a lot of the properties within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, is the lack of death. Now, that might sound... I don't mean I want everyone dying left, right, and center, okay? So please don't think that I... I prefer... It's no secret to anyone who knows me. I prefer my material a tad on the darker side. That's what appeals to me. I understand these are designed to be family movies by and large. And consequently, you know, you can't have, you know, tons of destruction, death, carnage, mayhem. There's limits what you can do, and I'm understanding of that. I I'm okay with that. My issue becomes in this movie in particular, it really bugged me that there are apparently no fatalities. I mean, there are some people who died during the Hydra attack, or during the attack on the Hydra base, but Hulk rampages through a good portion of what I assume is Cape Town, South Africa. 
a giant section of land is raised into the upper atmosphere and dropped with a bunch of civilians still kind of in and around it during the climactic battle. There's all these things and there is no, again, there's like, there's no repercussions. There's no, you know, seriousness to it. I don't mind the Avengers trying to save everyone. I mean, the train derails. First thing Captain America does, looks to Quicksilver and says, get the civilians out of the path. Makes perfect sense. I'm okay with that. Them trying to clear the city before the final battle with Ultron. I'm okay with that. Makes sense. I don't hate that they try. I hate that they succeed. To the point where the last thing on a lifeboat to leave this, you know, giant piece of rock that's about to be dropped is a dog. I mean... And I blame all of you out there, you whiny malcontents. Oh, Superman didn't worry too enough about the people around him. Because I bet that all the executives at Marvel heard all of you and decided, hey, we can't have anyone die on screen. We can't even leave it somewhat ambiguous. I mean, at the end of this movie, the only confirmed fatality is Quicksilver. I'm going to assume there were a couple of other people that, you know, Ultron got in his final little uh, strafing fire on the Quinjet. But when you think of all the destruction, all of the chaos, all of the damage, people should be dying. Now, I don't mean we have to see all of it, but it should at least be discussed. And again, I blame everyone who complained about Man of Steel. Because Superman engaged in an all-out brawl with a being of equal power and wasn't able to stop buildings from collapsing or, you know, all the collateral damage, which is actually how that would go. And it really, it stood out to me that it that Marvel seemed to have a mandate for this one. No one dies on screen again except Quicksilver. And it really, really bothered me. Uh, more so the second time, actually, just because there's no weight to any of the actions then. And I really hope, and I will say this, because you've got Captain America Civil War coming up. And if they don't at least discuss, you know, loss of life, injury, disability, in addition to, you know, the physical damage that has been caused by the event, Avengers starting with the Battle of New York, they will be seriously missing the point. All right. That's my big gripe. That's my, my rant's over there. All right. Uh, Jason, you got any major gripe? What's you, uh, since I just had my say as far as my biggest gripe what's your biggest one for this movie um <laughs> i'm right there with you uh i i think that if they don't address it in civil war the fact that you know earth's mightiest heroes have no governing bo governing body to regulate them nor their actions and there's no consequences of their actions it's going to be a gigantic failure by marvel because like i said Quicksilver was the only death that we actually seen, which that disappointed me. I, I was wanting to see the the relationship of Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, Flesh come to the forefront a little bit more. Um, I think the kid that actually played Quicksilver did a great job. Uh, the dynamic between him and Scarlet Witch was great. You had those undertones that you wasn't quite sure how to take. And they played it perfectly, not too ham-handed, over-the-top, incestual, but it, it was enough to make you go, well, you know, there's a possibility. But, like I said, the repercussion aspect is uh, is my only gripe, because 
the fact that they even let Hawkeye run all the way back off, save a kid, sacrifice Quicksilver, and then make it back out before. Uh, I just don't, I, like I said, it was the Superman complex, I guess what we can call it, because I guess they they heard the backlash and was like, well, we don't want anything of that. We see how bad DC's screwing up, and we don't want that stigma. All right, Ben, your biggest gripe? Okay. Um, if, okay, if I had, I'm going to get my gripe out of the way because I'd actually like to kind of present the other side of what, what we were talking about. Okay. Um, my, my biggest gripe is just mainly that, that, um, in the t- in the little bit of time that the, you know, in the amount of time that they had for this movie, they, they simply just tried to do too much. It was they they tried to do too much. Mostly succeeded succeeded to a large degree. There was tons of action. There was character development. There was drama. There was romance. There was some thought provoking things that you know you don't normally get in what is in and this and it is what it is. Avengers is what it is as as a series. It is a blockbuster you know summer blockbuster franchise. It, you know you got a guy like Whedon who who wants to make it, you know, make it substantial and it's and it puts it a cut above. Um but you know, he had Marvel breathing down his neck every step of the way to include every you know, all these all these other different things and it, it was it may have just been too much. Um and it probably could have benefited from maybe juggling fewer subplots. But, you know, it succeeded for what it what it did. Now as far as death and the collateral damage, um, my defense of that, first of all, and and maybe it's a flimsy defense, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I get the feeling that that's not something that they particularly wanted to address at any length in within either Avengers movie, the first one or this or this one. Because it's meant to be, you know, you know, summer blockbuster. Maybe that's another big flaw with it. Um, but what I noticed was, and even in, in Captain America in, in Winter Soldier, the Captain America movies actually are being seem to be set up as the collateral damage movies, as the fallout movies. Because you have in, in Captain America, so, uh, the the uh, Soldier, it dealt a lot with a lot of the things, a lot of the issues that were raised by Avengers as far as, you know, what Nick Fury was trying to do with the alien technology and um, in and building, you know, this sort of superhero, superhuman, uh, you know, advanced technology arms race and whether or not what he was trying to do was morally right. And, you know, that that was addressed as a result of the fallout from from Avengers, and I believe that they're going to do the same thing with Civil War. Now I'm going to go on record as saying I absolutely despise the comic book that that Civil War is supposed to be based on for any number of reasons. I'm hoping that they'll they'll take because it was a good idea that was executed absolutely horrendously. I'm hoping that they make up for that and they they correct a lot of the things that were bad about about the comic, but I know not everybody necessarily used the things that I didn't like as flaws and I'm, you know, I'm going to have to deal with that. But the idea that 
basically the idea about uh, of Civil War as a comic, and I'm hoping as a movie, is accountability. The accountability for all of this collateral damage, you know, where Stark and, and Hulk are tearing up an entire city and you get glimpses, you get glimpses of, you know, frightened uh, bystanders and people running for their lives and even the Hulk has this moment where he's looking and he's thinking and you could tell Banner's in there somewhere thinking, you know, I did this and I should be punished and that's kind of where, even where Banner's arc in the the movie leaves off where he's kind of like exiled himself. Um, I think and you know, there's a little bit of deja vu from what we were talking about, Robert, but uh, the these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, they tend to be, you know, yes, each movie should be looked at on its own merits and judged on its own merits, but we also, just like in the comics, it's part of a shared universe, and everything is very episodic, and things go from, from one story to another without necessarily being resolved until later on, and I think that's what we're seeing here. I think this was by design. I think whether it's Marvel or whether it was Joss Whedon through Marvel by design decided that this is not the movie to deal with the fallout, but the fallout will be dealt with. Now, I agree with you by and large there, and I hope you're... I think you hit uh, the nail on the head when you said that the way these movies are structured, you know, dealing with the fallout is just not going to be addressed, and it's just part of how they're how they're made and the overall, you know, conception and execution of them as a whole. And, you know, that's fine. It's something I'm going to... You know, complain about from time to time when it beats me over the head. Like, again, I never complained. I didn't have that complaint about the first one because I felt they handled it appropriately. In this one, it felt a bit more contrived. Like they were desperately trying to avoid the even appearance of on-screen, you know, trauma. And again, I do hope they deal with it. Otherwise, again, missing the point entirely. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and do final thoughts on this one, and then we'll do plugs and go ahead and get out of here. Uh, Jason, let's go ahead and start with you. Overall thoughts? Uh, I know you did brief impressions, but overall thoughts on the final movie? Recommendation? Uh, if you feel compelled to grade it on a scale, by all means do so. Uh, I think it was one of the better superhero movies. It was, like I said, more story-driven, fleshed out. Um, highly recommended. If you are in any shape, form, comic book, casual fan, diehard fan, such as, you know, most of us. Uh, Definitely a good quality comic book superhero movie, probably one of the best ones done, due to, you know, it the fleshed-out storyline, the introduction of characters, how they tied up most things and started new, a new spin on things. So, yeah, I highly recommend it. I mean... If I was the rated the uh nine point eight seven three two one. Oh, nice to know you have a highly sought out decimal system in place for stuff like this. Exactly. I appreciate it. Uh oh, I almost forgot to mention, but my other big moment from this movie is actually the mid credits finale when Thanos finally gets out of his chair because uh if that's handled properly, that's gonna be all kinds of awesome. Alright, Ben, final thoughts, recommendations? Um, I'll just say, you know, this, this was a great, you know, movie experience for me. Like I got to see this movie with some of my best friends and we were, you know, ultimately, you know, 
riffing and you know geeking out and and it just enjoying all the the you know all the good parts and we're all comic book fans and we all you know got all the little hints and easter eggs and all that stuff and there was one point that i i remember more than anything else i turned to to my best friend while we were watching some of the action scenes and i turned to him and i, I looked at him and i told him kirby would have loved this <laughs> and that just That's- kind of like had me smile and like just just this is, you know, this is the type of Avengers that, uh, you know, that that Stanley and Jack Kirby and and Roy Thomas and all the all the great, you know, comic book creators that that made all of these great stories on which these movies are based on was was seen to be striving for, just you know that balance of you know humanity and just complete spectacle, and I love that, and you know I I like this movie at least as much as the first one. It's not it's not perfect, but I wasn't expecting it to I wasn't expecting it to be. It was really entertaining and I had a really great time watching it. And I I really kind of wish I had seen it one more time before this podcast, but uh, I'll be rectifying that real soon. Yeah, I I'm fortunate that I whenever I do any of these reviews, I try to see the movies twice just because the second time allows for slightly more critical thinking. Uh, I actually think it's to my detriment that I only saw Cinderella once before Mark and I reviewed it and yeah, I much as I hate, you know, childish movies, I don't know if I was able to adequately process everything that went into that one and provide a completely coherent review. So I'll be seeing pretty much everything else twice if I can at all help it. Alright, uh me personally had a really great time at the movies with this one. A lot of fun. There's enough depth to keep it from being completely superficial and, you know, borderline flat. Uh, my gripes aside, you know, Ultron, the lack of, you know, damage and you know, things like that, it's still great from pretty much start to finish. The writing is very good. It's all directed well. Uh, if you're debating seeing it, go see it. If you're debating seeing it a second time, I enjoyed it pretty much as much as about as much the second time as I did the first. You just see things a little bit differently. So, uh, my perspective, my recommendation there. All right, Jason, what do you got to plug? Uh, cheap seats Tuesday nights, ten o'clock. Also during the summer, I'll be on Screaming Boy Productions with Ronnie and Adam. Uh, me and Jesse just wrapped up actually a series with them, a show with them, uh, Sunday night where we talked about Ultron. Um, it was fun. It should be going up soon. Other than that, uh, Cheap Seats will be back first week of June with an anniversary show that started our charity football league. All right, looking forward to that one. Ben, what do you got to plug? All right, racing through some plugs. I already plugged uh, Jesse Starcher and uh, Source Material. That's Mondays. We just uh, talked Iron Man Demon in a bottle this past week. I was pinch hitting for uh, Mark Radlich, but I was happy to do it. Um, as always, as ever, I write, draw, self-publish a comic called Soul Exodus. You can check out my website at soulexo.com, S-O-U-L-E-X-O.com, uh, facebook.com slash soulexo, Twitter at soulexocomic, uh, check out some of my friends, uh, made a fail podcast, made dot net, um, my collaborator, uh, freaking collaborator Lewis Lovehog, aka Linkara, top the fourth wall dot com. Um, I had just 
confirmed like a couple of hours ago, I am going to be exhibiting at the Hamptons Comic Book Show on May 23rd. So if you happen to be in the Hamptons area of Long Island, New York, uh, on May 23rd, check us out. Check out the website, uh, HamptonsComicShow.com, I think it is. Let me double-check that real quick. Uh, Yeah, HamptonsComicBookShow.com for more information. And as always, also as always, and also as ever, uh, Long Road to Ruin, uh, which is coming at you tomorrow night. Uh, I did some artwork. Everybody seems to love it. I'm glad. You did great artwork. That was awesome. That's one of your best, man. That is awesome. I really can't say enough good things about the piece you did for this one. Thanks. It was it was a good time. Uh, yeah, and Sean and Mark seemed to like it too. So uh, yeah, Long Road to Ruin, uh, Iron Man tomorrow night. Check it out. Yeah, my plugs are going to be real quick. Like they mentioned, uh, like Ben mentioned, Long Road to Ruin tomorrow night, Thursday. Uh, I believe 9 p.m. Eastern. Might be at 10. Uh, they're monkeying around with the time a little bit because of what's going on in Mark's life. If Mark's unable to do it, I'm going to be pinch hitting and. Uh, co-hosting the look at the iron man trilogy with sean comer either way check it out it's always a good show then on friday 9 p.m eastern my podcast everyone loves a bad guy is coming back and i've got some bones to pick with some of the villains in the marvel cinematic universe there's 11 movies and three television series and the fact that we've got maybe three decent villains out of it i got gripes people and everyone's going to hear about it so i'm going to be tackling (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to be tackling those uh, start to finish. I'll probably have the phone lines open if anyone wants to call in and you know mention some of their favorites, things like that. Then the week after, unless something else happens that really pushes me in a different direction, I'm going to be looking at the future of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, what they've announced as far as, villain, as, far as movies, uh, speculation on villains, whether or not we think they'll be good. Uh, things of that nature in the future. So uh, I'll thank everyone right now for uh, being excited, for everyone who's going to listen to those podcasts. I've been gone for a while. I'll give you all an explanation of why that is at the start on Friday. Uh, So that's going to wrap us up here. Go see Age of Ultron, everybody. For Jason Teasley and Benjamin J. Colon, I'm Robert Winfrey, stealing Mark Radlich's catchphrase once again of please be well, be safe, and behave. There'll be spectacle, there'll be fantasy, there'll be daring do and stuff like you would never see. Hey, a movie, yeah, we're gonna be a movie, starring everybody and me. There'll be heroes bold, there'll be comedy, and a lot of fuss that ends for us real happily. On it here. Come on, join in. We're gonna start right here. <laughs> it's okay.